0: This is On Boys
1: Parenting Podcast. We are your co host Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys. And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more. Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men.
0: We all want to raise good men. I mean, the name of this podcast is literally on boys real talk about parenting teaching and reaching tomorrow's men but as they say the devil is in the details it's one thing to want to raise good men it's another thing to figure out what that means on a daily basis exactly how do we raise good guys as our longtime listeners know that is a question that i wrestle with each and every day And it's one that Janet and I grapple with professionally as well. For 20 years, we have been trying to figure this out and trying to help others figure this out. Today's guest, a father of three boys, has also devoted a lot of time and effort to this question. With us today is Aaron Gouveia, is the author of Raising Boys to Be Good Men, a parenting guide to bringing up happy sons in a world filled with toxic masculinity. He is also the dad of Will, Sam and Tommy, ages 12, 7, and 4. He's in the thick of it, y'all. Welcome, Aaron.
2: Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: I feel like we should take a moment just to celebrate the fact that we're sitting here having an adult conversation without children present at the moment.
2: Yeah, well, knock on wood. I mean, all three are home right now. We have construction ripping up our street outside. It's summer and it's raining, so this could be, this could be disastrous.
0: Brilliant, <laughs> but... This is the reality of raising boys right now. This is we, These are the conditions. We never have ideal conditions for raising these these male children of ours.
2: Yep. And especially with the, with COVID still going on, it's the, the icing on the cake. So yeah we're, yeah, we're in it right now, all of us. We deserve some adult beverages, I think.
0: <laughs> it's 10 a.m., but I'm right with you there.
1: <laughs> well, coffee is the adult beverage of the hour.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, for now. that's what we meant. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Aaron, toxic masculinity is a term that creates a lot of controversy, a lot of discussion, and it is there on the cover of your book. So let's tackle that one right away. Let's talk about what you mean by that term and why you decided to use it in the title.
2: Yeah, and I'll be very honest, and this is even in the book, you know, when I, when I first heard the term toxic masculinity, I, you know, I did what I think most men or, you know, even most people probably do. I rolled my eyes and said, Oh my God, stop trying to make, you know, stop trying to vilify masculinity. It's, but you know, the, the more I listen to people and because I make it a point to surround myself with people much smarter than, than I am, it took a while. It took years really to understand what it is. And, and it's a million little things. It's, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. Um, you know, toxic masculinity is, you know, when I have, when I'm not thinking about it and, you know, Uh, I'm playing catch with my sons and they, you know, have a bad throw. I'm like, Oh, come on, Susan, you know, let's go. And Mm -hmm. it was, it's stuff. It's, it's stuff like that. And it, you know, it's saying throw like a girl and you know, it's just a million of those things that you don't really bat an eyelash about one at a time because they're, they're so ingrained in everything we do. But if you stop and, and step back and take a look at it, you really, you can't stop seeing it. It's not wearing a mask, it, you know. It's guys not wearing a mask because, you know, why? Oh, they feel unmanly, or that you know, they don't feel the. They feel fearful because they feel effeminate because of it. And you know, you're 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 gay if you don't wear a mask. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. And when people ask for you know real time examples of how toxic masculinity is harmful, I don't think there's any more real <laughs> um, example that I can give that's happening right now than that. I mean, it's it's just it's silly and it's so unnecessary and we need to get past it
0: how do other guys react to that title because as you yourself share and one of the things that i love about this book and i think our listeners will as well is that you are very honest (laughs) and you say uh yeah so pretty much i did all of this this is how i thought yeah but it took a while to get to where you are now making that breakthrough like that's difficult
2: yeah, and it's never just one breakthrough, right? And I'd be very honest. I had a hard time writing this book because it turned into a lot of introspection mm-hmm. and a lot of self-examination, and it wasn't always pretty. I, you know, you realize when you spot the problems and then think back on how you might have contributed to them. I mean, this book is a laundry list of things that I did that, you know, weren't great and and contributed to a problem. That at times i thought i was fighting against and and so that's exactly how most men you see it when when you talk about toxic masculinity they roll their eyes and you know it's it's the pussification of america that's something you hear a lot and it's pc nonsense if you can t- keep talking to them about it and keep finding examples of it you know some of them you can turn around on this to, to at least keep an open mind and realize that it's not demonizing all masculine traits. you know it's just the bad parts, the stuff that hurts us. And you know that message does get through very slowly sometimes. It certainly uh, was a slow process for me, but that's really what the book is about. I mean it's it's not for hardliners. you know there are some people who are too far gone and that stinks to say, but it's true. Um, this is for people who will listen to reason and who will keep an open mind who can see themselves in the mistakes that i describe with myself and hopefully you know find some change that way i love that you are
1: talking about this and jen and i have talked often about how dads like i feel like this generation of dads are the the men that can change this generational pattern because i'm going to guess that your parents Jen's parents, my parents, had so much of that embedded and they gave it to us in as, as children. And to take a stand now and to speak to these things so clearly and, and straightforward, because as you said, so much of it is just embedded. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a podcast guest on who shall remain nameless a while ago who actually did say that he had told his boys not to cry and I, we haven't actually talked about this Jen but um you know that was like oh my gosh here we are again it's it's so prevalent and so to really call out the examples is helping the helping the dads go yeah ooh okay and as you said it's the ones who are open-minded who are feeling a little bit like ooh this isn't quite comfortable, but mm-hmm. it's also like not even recognizing, uh-huh. oh, ooh, yeah, that doesn't exactly come across how I how I really intended it to. So just calling it out. Good for you. I, I just think that that's really important and without judgment
2: because we're all just, we're all figuring it out. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned this generation of dads because that's That's actually a pretty important part of the book too. Um, you know, I talk a lot about gender roles and, you know, dads and moms, because this book is not just for parents of boys and it's not just for men. This is all interconnected. It all overlaps. And when you have involved dads, so, you know, one of the chapters is about specifically stay at home dads, which I've never done probably never could do. I don't have the, I don't have the right tolerance or mindset for it, but, you know i have a ton of friends who are stay-at-home dads the toxic things that they face because they're you know they're called freeloaders they have sugar mamas you know they don't really work and i have news for you those guys work harder than i ever will when they and stay at home also with kids
0: point out in there that there's there's still this perception and the stigma like if you see a guy at the playground people react to that very differently than if you see a female at the playground. There is this mm-hmm. nearly instantaneous mindset, potential predator, potential predator, and he's not welcomed into the circle. And that, that affects our children, what they see from interactions with men. It affects what our boys think they can grow up to do.
2: And I'll be very honest with you. I, after an incident at a playground where I helped a kid who was stuck Uh, way up high on something and then got scared. And, you know, I'm not knocking his mom. His mom was on the phone. She might've been taking a business call. I don't don't really, I'm not judging that, but she didn't, she didn't hear. And so I went over and tried to help. And all she saw when she looked over was a strange guy, you know, trying to get her kid down. You know, I, I don't do that anymore, which is, which is sad. It's tough because when you look at the statistics, you know, men are at the, you know, they're, they're the most likely to be Perpetrators of those kind of crimes. So it's a little bit deserved, but at the same time, it's, it's really unfortunate that no one would think twice about a mom, you know, another mother going over to help a kid rather, but if a dad does it, or if, or if, you know, there's a teenage babysitter, who's a, who's a boy. uh, They're going to get second looks to, they're going to get, you know, the side eye also, and that's, it's really tough to overcome that. And, you know, we have to take, I think we really have to take steps to do that because it's just, it's you can't call for men to be more involved and then cut them out it's yeah. really a, a tough message to send it's a it's conflicting message to send so that's a real problem that we got to get a handle on well and part of that too
1: is we want our dads to step up we want our men to step up and yet there is the the notion of you know oh dad's taking the kids to the park dad is babysitting
2: oh yeah that's a that's a no-no oh, yeah. in our in our in our dad blogger world uh, dads don't babysit, you know, if it's your kid, you don't babysit You're exactly. you're parenting. And yeah. that's, that's a, that's a huge, huge, huge issue. Yeah.
0: One of the things you write about in the book is something that we've talked about before, um, Janet, he goes at length into the fact that often for well-meaning reasons, and because of all the stuff we grew up with, moms kind of have a tendency to take over and sort of gatekeep on the parenting. So even though again, we say we want involved fathers our actions don't necessarily jive with that
1: yeah. yeah we want them involved if they do it our way but what i constantly i mean we're we just repeat 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 but it's you know dad's parent the way dad's parent mom's parent the way mom's parent and we need both and both are perfectly normal fine
2: good early on, you know, 11, 12 years ago, when my oldest was born, I was a newspaper reporter, and I, I took on an, an altered shift. So I had every Wednesday off, so we could cut down on on childcare. And my wife was she was the big wig at Bank of America uh, going to work every day. So I had the bulk of, of caretaking responsibilities. And I just remember sending, you know, uh, sending pictures or someone would say that they saw us out. And she was like, Did you have the baby in plaids and stripes. And I said, yeah, I don't care. I don't care what the kid looks like. They're, you know, my, my kid is dressed appropriately for the weather. And that is really all I care about. I am not fashion oriented. And that, mm-hmm. that bothered her for a long time. And it was an issue. So yeah, I mean, there is a lot of that. It's, you know, it's I want you to be more involved, but I want you to be more involved the way I want you to be involved, not 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 necessarily the way you do. And and the flip side of that you know it's not all moms faults there i think women are expected to be super moms and know everything right off the bat whereas if a dad walks out and is holding the baby without dropping him he you know he's king of the world so those kind of lowered expectations versus uh, what we expect of women that's also a problem
0: i'm just soaking that in because it's so true it is so so true like on the one hand Moms and women, we have these super high, totally unobtainable expectations that we're supposed to do all of this. And yeah, the dads—if you manage to interact with your child in a safe manner, you are a genius.
2: Yep, that happened in a Walmart when um, when my oldest was about a week and a half old. Uh, you know, she, my wife, went to the bathroom, and I held the, the baby, and people came up to like people came out of the woodwork. Oh my goodness, look at you. And I I lapped it up. I was like, yeah, look at me. I'm super dad. I'm amazing. (laughs) And you know, my wife finally got sick of it. Give
0: birth to that child a week and a half ago. (laughs) Come on, man.
2: Right. And I was, I was soaking it all in. And my wife said, you know what? No one would ever tell me that I was doing great as a mom just because I was out here holding my kid. And I said, wow, I did not think of that. So yeah, it's, you know, it's those, it's those little things that are revelations when you finally see them
0: one of the tricky things about parenting is that we can have all these great ideas and especially i'm a writer as well you know so i read i write and i'm like this is how you do things and i feel like i figured something out and then i go upstairs to interact with my actual children and i end up being faced with a circumstance or a challenge that i'm like i do not know what to do in this situation how Give me some examples of a few things that, you know, your kids have challenged you with uh, situations that, you know, you're like, I don't know what to do right
2: here. One of them was just, I don't know, a year, year and a half ago when Will was 10 or almost 11. You know, I thought it was time to have more conversations about consent. That's a really important subject that we've tried to talk to them age appropriately for. But you know, when he got into the fifth grade and started paying attention to girls and girls started paying attention to him, um, I thought it was really time to step it up. And, and I thought I was prepared. So I walked up there, and, you know, I'm talking about how, you know, when boys and girls get and you know, I could tell immediately that I was losing him and that it wasn't landing. And, and I, I, I was struggling and kind of panicking. And I think he was nervous too. So we have, we have two cats. Um, and if you're, you know, anyone who knows me knows that, I loathe cats um, that they, they serve no purpose for me other than they bring my children joy, which is why they're here. But he was, he was nervously kind of petting the cat and the cat was kind of desperately trying to get away. So the cat went, was
0: uncomfortable with this conversation as well.
2: It, well, exactly. And so it kind of clicked in my head and I went, Oh, I said, Hey, Will." I said, how, how does the cat look to you right now? He's like, Oh, kind of upset. I'm like, yeah. And yet you're holding the cat there against the cat's will. And, and you know, even though he doesn't want to be there, I said, buddy, that's, that's consent said he's clearly sending you a message that he wants to, that he needs, that he wants to get away. And yet you're holding him there just because it makes you feel better. And like, all of a sudden the light bulb went off and you know, that's the first time a cat's been useful to me ever, but he, you know, that helped with the consent conversation. It's just kind of an epiphany there, but you're, you're right. You never, it never goes as planned. And so you have to you know I try and I try and find um lessons from my network you know people who have had these conversations before with older kids and what's you know and and what works for them doesn't always work for you, but it gives you an idea and at least you have some some plan to fall back on but I honestly think most of the battle is just having the conversation in the first place and having that conversation repeatedly and over and over again until their eyes roll into the back of their head and they want nothing to do with you because you know that's that's how many conversations mm-hmm. it takes to have these things stick mm-hmm. and it stinks
1: yeah mm-hmm. and it's
2: hard and it's not fun but it's so so very necessary because if you don't if you don't have these conversations with your kids, someone else is going to, or the internet is going to, which is probably even worse. I want to go in a little different direction because I think
1: this is something that a lot of parents struggle with. And it's, it kind of circles back to what we were saying before about, you know, dropping the, um, oh, you hit like a girl. And how do you advise parents who they're you know their kids are looking at memes and they're funny, but they're a little bit edgy and sexist, whatever and, oh, mom, no, it, it was a joke. It's just it's just for fun. So there's that place where we can step in as parents to say, yeah, and this isn't okay, and here's why, and then we can have all the conversation. But the more challenging place is your son's in fifth grade. He hears another boy sit, call somebody gay or somebody a girl. What do you advise parents what strategies, what words can they give to their kids to confront those situations peer to peer? Because it's really easy to just let it go. And I think even for adults, it's kind of easy to just like, oh, I don't want to confront this person. I'm just going to let it slide. And I think we're past the age of letting things slide. But our kids need strategies. They need words to use in that situation.
2: Yeah, so for me and and how my kids deal with it, it, it's really about um, having a a personal connection with what you're saying. So in in that circumstance where you're talking about something's gay, um, you know, and I've heard his friends say it. And after the fact, I'll say, hey, you know, I, I overheard this and, you know, I overheard, you know, someone saying, oh, that's gay. And, you know, my son said, well, they they didn't mean gay, gay. They meant, you know, bad, gay. And I said, well, okay, but that's not, you know, I said, the word is the word. And I I, I point to my relatives. I said, you know, I said, how would your Aunt Melinda feel if she knew that you were okay with saying something was gay, meaning it was bad? I'm like, are you you saying that she's bad? He's like, well, no, of course not, you know? And so like that personal connect now, all right, now you have a face that you put with it and you have an actual person. So when you say these things, you re you know, your kids realize that they're hurting this actual person who they love very much. And I found that to be really effective. So whether it's a friend, you know, a gay friend or a gay relative, um, you know, that's a lot more personal than just saying, hey, you know, gay people would be upset. That's, that's kind of an abstract thing. But when you have, hey, Aunt Melinda is going to be upset with you when you say this, that hits home. A lot more
1: this episode is sponsored by by heart. babies need to eat and
0: whether you breastfeed or bottle feed use formula combine all of the above you need options we wanted to let you know about ByHeart baby formula by heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk it includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk and By Heart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula and proved that babies on By Heart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. By Heart is also the only US made infant formula to use organic, grass fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider By Heart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code on boys at byheart.com. That's B Y H E A R T.com slash podcast. And it is 10% off your first order. byheart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand
1: But it's still I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit because I still want to know what that what your son should say, could say to his friend who has said the gay slur.
2: I tell him I, I tell him to step right in and say, that's not cool. Shouldn't mm-hmm. say that. Mm-hmm. And and that's what he's done. And and some, you know, I'll be very honest. This is not a this is not something that's worked every time. And it, it is something that has ended some friendships, to be very yeah. honest. You know, my, my son said, you know, it's not okay to say that someone's gay. Don't say that. And, you know, a few, a a bunch of people said, Oh, you know, I'm I'm sorry. You know, and and they, they've stopped doing it. Other people said, Oh, you know, stop. I'm not doing that. And and my kids don't hang out with those kids anymore, Mm -hmm. not by my choosing, but by their own. And, Mm -hmm. and that's going to happen. And it's really, it's really hard. I'm not saying that's an easy thing. It's a really hard thing. Uh, And it's a hard lesson to learn so early. And, it does lead to potential problems you know with with bullying and you know once that kid turns against you and if that kid has a lot of friends um it can get ugly and it has gotten ugly and that's there's no easy answer for that i'm not going to pretend that there's a cure-all uh for anything like that there isn't but i just have to keep telling my son that he's on the right side of this and that he'll be better for it in the end which frankly, doesn't really help him a lot right now, no. but, um, but that's the tack one, I'm taking.
0: This mm-hmm. is one that I still fight with and struggle with in my house. My boys are older than yours. My youngest is now 14, and then uh, 17 and 19 are both still home, and I still routinely will hear from them or a friend who's over, you know, gay, no homo, all the things you write about in your book. And I call them on it every time and I'm so freaking tired of it. (laughs) And sometimes, like sometimes I think they are just doing this to see if I will react, right? Like, should I just ignore it? But I at least want my voice to be the one that they hear in their head, even if they roll their eyes. And I do have a lot of sympathy. I have a lot of respect for boys you know, for your son to stand up to friends and say, that's not cool. That is hard to do. It is so hard to do. Yeah. And I think that we need to respect those boys and at the same time, hold space for the boys who aren't ready to speak up, who are mm-hmm. just desperately trying to survive in boy culture, which as you know, from personal experience, and now watching your sons come through it's brutal.
2: Yeah. I mean, I still I still remember, you know, listening to one of my favorite groups was boys to men when I was uh, when I was growing up. And I can't tell you how much trouble that caused me. Like, it sounds stupid now, but it's completely true. I was the gayest kid alive for liking boys to men when I was 11, 12 years old and you know never
0: mind that they have tight harmonies right like <laughs> i was
2: i was a singer you know my grandmother was in the was in tanglewood in the boston pops so she was a professional singer and musician and i loved it i wasn't going to back down from that but it's it still it didn't help me it made my life miserable yes. and and i know that my son even though he does you know i know that i've seen him stand up to people about that but i also know that there are times when he doesn't because he's also trying to fit in and I can't make him do it every time. I, I, I can't. It's not feasible or realistic, but mm-hmm. um, I do hope that when push comes to shove, you know, he's going to step in and defend people and, and call out what's wrong and stand up for what's right most of the time. And that's, that's all I can ask, you know, and it's, it's so hard.
0: Mm-hmm. And and I hope, and I know Janet does as well, that this will get easier because you're one family doing it, and I'm one family trying to do it. So as there are more and more and more of us, you know, hopefully the culture will start shifting. But right now, we are all very much in this moment of transition. And, you know, we're trying to figure it out and survive. And so are our boys.
2: Exactly. Exactly. Right on.
0: You went viral um, a couple years ago. You wrote about the fact that your son, Sam, who was then a kindergartner. Now, parents think about this. He was a kindergartner. So he's like five, maybe he hit six.
2: Yeah. He was five,
0: five years old. He got bullied at school for wearing nail polish. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, I understand as so do you and everybody listening, like historically here in America that has been women wear, but literally it's a five-year-old with paint on a non-essential part of the body talk about that experience what happened to him how that affected him and how that affected you and led to this book ultimately
2: yeah that that was a that was a crazy time it was october 2018 and you know he was five but really he had been wearing nail polish for um you know maybe a year and a half two years and and that's because my my mom his grandmother uh was a manicurist my mom paints you know my kids nails and And that was never a problem. Honestly, we we did it from the time he was, you know, maybe three and he went to preschool. Never a problem, never an issue, never a word. But he did it at kindergarten and it was a completely different story. He got there and he was, you know, there was one kid who stood up for him. One kid. The rest of them said, boys don't wear nail polish. What are you doing? You need to take it off. That's not right. Don't do that. We teach our kids unless they're in danger, you know, physical danger. Try and talk your problems out, which he did. He tried to talk it out all day to no avail. And when my wife picked him up at school, he just, he fell apart. He was inconsolable to the point where she had to call me at work because she couldn't get out of him what was wrong. And so, you know, finally we figured out that it was about his nails and it was really sad. You know, we, we came home and, and I came home from work that night and I asked him, you know, how are you feeling? And he said he wanted to take off the nail polish. And I said, all right, well, do, do you really want to take it off because you don't want to wear it? Or do you just not want to be made fun of? And he said, no, I love the nail polish. I just don't want to be made fun of.
0: Hmm.
2: So I said, all right, buddy. I said, how about you keep it on overnight and in the morning, if you still feel that way, then, you know, we can take it off. But I don't want you to stop doing something that you really like just because of other people. And that night I was really mad and I, I put together a Twitter thread. Um, And I, right before I went to bed, I hit send on it. And it was all about how, you know, this, that kind of behavior, five and six year olds, they don't just know that it's learned. It's learned from their parents and their friends and the media and and the messages that they get. And I think that's so unfortunate. When I woke up in the morning, I thought my phone was malfunctioning. I mean, it looked like Mm -hmm. a slot machine and I realized what was happening, you know, before the sun even came up, it, it was just nuts. The numbers on this thing. And, you know, before i had even left for work, People Magazine was calling. And then that led to, you know, The Guardian and Mashable and eventually The Today Show. And I mean, just every outlet you can imagine wanted to write about this. And it was completely overwhelming. But the the great part of it was having all these people, you know, we had parents of, of boys who were sending in pictures of their boys wearing nail polish we had men sending pictures who he's saying I've painted my nails for years. And then we had men who said, you know, I don't paint my nails, but I'm doing it for you, Sam. And we had whole offices painting their nails and celebrities were responding. Wow. Rob, Rob Gronkowski, who was then on the Patriots and Sam's favorite player. He sent a video to Sam. I mean, it was, it was really amazing what happened and, and seeing all those people supporting him, that's what made the difference. And he kept his nails painted. Um, and you
0: know, you write in the book, um, that was the overwhelming take home. It was in net, it was an extremely positive experience, but I feel like we need to acknowledge that like, <laughs> there was also really terrible things because you were getting messages basically saying that you are a terrible father and unfit and you're ruining your child and 2018 it's 2020 now, but that, that is all still there.
2: Oh, yeah, I was I was front and center on the Daily Stormer, which is an actual literal neo-Nazi website. Um, I think the headline was something like, you know, cuck sends son to kindergarten with nail polish on. And I mean, it was my my wife, uh, not afraid to say my wife wanted to pull the whole plug when she saw, you know, her husband and her son on a Nazi website. Well, Yeah. 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 And and I don't I don't blame her, but you know also, you know, there everyone you know said I was abusive um that you know and they 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 were going to call Department of Child and Family Services um all that all that crappy stuff. Just and that's how threatening this is to people though. And that's, that's how threatening great. it is.
1: We
0: are again, we're literally talking about a little bit of color on mm-hmm. a non-essential part of the body yeah. that is temporary because the nails grow. <laughs> like Yeah
2: and they you know they say oh you just want you you're pushing your kid to be gay you're pushing your kids to be trans and it's like wearing nail polish first of all doesn't make you gay doesn't make you trans i said if if sam you know goes down that road someday if if that's what he decides then okay i i don't care but it's certainly not pushing him one way or the other. He's a five-year-old and these are bright colors. That's what that's about. If you want to, you know, if you really yes. want to know, he likes bright it. colors on his nails because it looks cool. And it does. It looks, it looks awesome. And so, you know, that, that's, that's how that all came about. And one of the calls I got was from my publisher who, um, you know, asked me to write a book, which has been my dream. So that, that was a really great thing that came out of it. And, uh, but yeah, what a, what a, what a weird ride that was thinking mm-hmm. you, you could toil all these years pouring your heart out about parenting on the internet. And then <laughs> one day, one day your kid paints his nails and you're on the today show. I mean, it's so arbitrary. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I want to um I, as we
1: wrap up, I, I do not want to miss talking about single moms, raising boys. What do you have to say to single moms, raising boys? And I hear a lot of single moms, longing for male role models for their sons and not having them and and you know now we're in a pandemic and we can't even socialize so so what about those moms who are striving to raise non-toxic males yet there's not the role models there there's not that dad to say hey you know this is this is good this is not good what would you say to those
2: single moms Hmm. That's a good question. Have, not having had any experience with single moms. I mean, I think, I think any kind of mentor is good, whether it's, you know, big brother, uh, kind of thing. I think that that can be really important. I know, you know, even though I'm not religious, I know a lot of people do, um, you know, a lot of people turn to the church and I live across the street from a reverend who, you know, fills that role for, for many boys and, and does it really, really well. Um, but I think you know, honestly, in in my experience, hang, uh, you know, having lots of friends with who were raised by single moms, those for whatever reason, those friends tend to be probably more accepting and more tolerant and more you know just kind of generally open to things than anyone else. I I'm not a I'm not a scientist and I'm I'm not a professional. I I don't know why that is. But the parents of single moms seem to be much more open to to all this stuff than anyone else.
0: I want to go there for a moment because having been a married mom, having been a single mom for a while, and uh, I know this is true for so many moms, I think it is a lot easier to raise a son who isn't overly influenced by what we're calling toxic masculinity alone than with a father who subscribes to this toxic masculinity. And I don't mean this as a hit. Dads who are listening, I don't mean this as a hit. But, you know, so many of our moms see often before the dads do things like, it's not a big deal if he wears nail polish, right? So my question to you is, let's say we've got listeners who they're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Aaron, I'm with you. I'm with you. But um, his dad's not there yet.
2: So, you know, and and I I resemble that comment for, at least I did for so long. Um, What changed for me, honestly, it was a combination of, you know, my wife being fantastic and never failing to tell me when I was being an idiot. But even more than that, it was, you know, I live in Massachusetts. It's, it's it's a it's a progressive blue state, but I live in an area where there is not much diversity of anything. So, you know, it wasn't until after college, you know, really college and the and when the internet exploded, that's when I was able to because you know no one looked or acted differently from me right in my proximity Mm -hmm. but the internet the internet allowed me to find people from all different backgrounds who don't look like me at all and listening to them and their experiences that probably had the most profound impact on me and the it probably led to me changing my views on things a lot more like, you know, even with white privilege. Oh, did I scoff at white privilege? You know, someone telling me I was privileged just be that really, you know, years and years ago when I heard that it it went, it stuck in my craw. And then, you know, I became friends with all these black dads on, on Twitter or on Facebook and and Twitter and social media. And I did things like listen to them, describe the talks that they had to have with their kids Mm -hmm. about things like how they'll be seen in the world or how to deal with getting pulled over so that they don't die. And uh, that one, especially, I, I just said, oh my goodness, I never in my life have feared that I would not get out of a traffic stop alive because I don't have to, you know, and, and that really drove home the, the privilege argument for me. They, it's It's a reality that they have to face. You know, Black dads always describe having the talk with their kids. And so hearing things like that from a perspective that I just could never, ever possibly have. That's what, that's what made me turn the corner you know, exposure to diversity of people and actually listening to their stories instead of just listening to them so that I can refute whatever they're going to say, listen to them, sit with what they say and have the courage to be really uncomfortable with that. And to know that, yeah, you know, you might be, you, you might be part of the problem here. You might have contributed to this and from that moment on it's what you do after you know better that matters Mm -hmm. you know you don't know better that's fine it's not great but when you know better and then you decide to take action or not that's what's going to define you
0: i love that parenting gives you lots of do-overs lots of opportunities I guarantee I haven't known you longer than a few minutes but I know you haven't done everything right I'm gonna screw up today multiple times but on the whole I I think that my boys are gonna turn out to be good men you do better when you know better you learn better I love what you said a bit ago you sit and listen to what they say and sit with it not to refute but to listen to it and I think that applies to parenting our boys
2: too. We need to also listen to them. Yeah. And and that's, that's huge, especially for someone as opinionated and, and argumentative as I am. It was, <laughs> it was very, very tough to just sit and listen, but that's what's necessary if you want to learn. And I probably fail at that more often than not, but I've stopped and listened enough to, you know, to know that changing my mind and changing my stances on things is no longer a weakness you know that's that's strength and when you when you have that shift in perspective that's when you can really start to to pick up some ground
0: You've got a website and a blog uh, if people read your book they want to know more they want to be engaged in conversation where can they
2: go to find you but it's daddyfiles.com. And you can, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram it's, or Facebook. It's all at Daddy Files. It's really an intersection of politics and parenting for me. It's kind of a mix of personal and, um, you know, current events. And then, yeah, you can, um, you know, the, the book you can get from Amazon or you can go to IndieBound and try and uh, get it from your local bookstore. But it's Raising Boys to Be Good Men. And I hope, um, you know, I hope people give it a... Give it a chance. It's, it's easy to roll your eyes at it. And I, believe me, I did. But I'm, I'm really hoping that people uh, take a chance on it and maybe have a change of heart.
0: Aaron, I feel like you and I need to uh, touch base again in about 10 years and go, <laughs> well, how'd we do?
2: <laughs> right? It's, it's scary. It scares me to death. But you can only hope that you're doing enough. And I, I hope that I am.
1: I'm going to take a stand for you and you are, you are. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for speaking to this very important topic with such heart and clarity. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me and continuing the conversation. That's half the battle and it's it's not easy, but it's worth it. Thanks for joining us. We are Jennifer
0: L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. And we are here to support you in parenting and teaching tomorrow's men.